1: Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me growth. Raptors kick it out for an open look for three, a Canadian three for Corey Joseph. And the Raptors lead is 15 117 102 with 344 to play. You are Locked On Jazz. Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team
0: every day. It is Locked On Jazz for a Friday. The NBA Finals game One to blowout. Why should we be concerned and. Is it part of a seven-game series or a four-game series? We'll talk about all that. Plus, we'll continue the search for a point guard with Locked On Raptors Sean Woodley as the Jazz go after Corey Joseph. That's up today on Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Hope things are going great for you. Uh, Today's show is brought to you by my friends at Murdoch Hyundai, 46, 46 South State Street. Blake and the crew, always a pleasure to to be involved with them. Uh, And I'm currently driving the Hyundai Santa Fe. Super impressed uh, by the experience. Took it down to St. George for uh, my daughter's golf weekend and uh, comfortable drive on a long drive like that. This great room, great comfort, smooth ride uh really really impressed and then Uh, good gas mileage. I think I got about 29 miles a gallon on that. So if you're looking for a car and you're in the market, if it's a sedan and you're about to do the the Honda Accord or the Toyota Camry or or something like that, make sure you take a second and run over to Murdoch Hyundai and check out what they've got on the Sonata and see whether or not you can get as many bells, any whistles as we like to drive and the price will be uh, incredible. Maybe it's the Elantra that's your answer. And then if you're looking for the little SUVs, it's the Tucson or the Santa Fe. The Santa Fe is not little. It's got Two rows of seats, but it's, it's got a lot of room back there for that trip we were able to fill and had no problem uh, filling everything up. So it's the Murdoch family is going to give you a wonderful experience with all the Murdoch signatures, wh- whether it's the uh, service center, extra hours, whether it's the car washes, the oil changes, all the, all the signatures of what a Murdoch experience is. And you can get that at 4646 South State Street with Murdoch Hyundai. They also have a location in Logan and in Linden for you. Uh stop on by, check it out. You'll be surprised, I think. Uh, I was on how the high quality of the Hyundai brand and uh as well just uh the price for what you're getting is just remarkable. Softball practice the other day. Uh everybody was kind of looking at the car and, and taking it in and, and realizing uh what you could get for it. It was kinda it was kinda awesome. So anyway, that's the uh the, they're our sponsor today. Appreciate them very, very much. Uh, well, let's get into the we'll do NBA finals talk and then we'll continue on the series of searching for a point guard. Uh, I don't know what your opinion is, but Goran Dragic uh, on Tuesdays with Wes Goldberg of Locked on Heat seemed like it was going to be a tough deal to get done. Kellen Olsen locked on sons. There was a deal there. Are you giving up Exum for Bledsoe? Are you willing to do that? Um, and then yesterday yesterday. Uh, uh, with locked on Zachary Bennett, locked on Wolves, Trey Lyles possibility going to cost you to get Ricky Rubio. Uh, are these guys driving their market higher than the real market? I kind of doubt it. But so I thought. I think the the message so far is it's been fairly painful. Uh, and I think if none of those deals are accomplished, then I think the next um, the next task or the next step in the process is you go to talk to Toronto. Uh, for Corey Joseph, who's solid but not uh, awesome, and see whether you, just, you need to probably get something, something done. So curious to hear your thoughts on on that on this process, what you've learned in this process um, with that. We'll do that. We'll finish it up coming here with with uh, Woodley. NBA Finals game number one breakdown here. First and foremost, a uh, big-picture thought I had during the game the entire game felt to me as though they the Warriors were about to run away. I, I I was watching with my daughter, I kept saying it's about to be seventeen, it's about to be twenty. And at halftime when it wasn't, the one and it was only seven, my thought was, Wow, the Cavaliers are unbelievably great to have kept this game at seven. Uh, and my feeling was I'd seen the Warriors play that half of basketball and be up 20 so many times, and on this time, the Cavaliers had kept them to seven. It made me believe we might have a game, and then the opposite happened. Then the Warriors just blitzed them in the third quarter. It, the Warriors in the past have had a tendency to blink for a moment or two. They did the exact opposite. They never blinked for one minute, lost focus in this game, and they they were truly, truly awesome. Uh, second one that jumped out, or, or now let's go to the, the micro level. Uh, Durant's a game changer. We knew it. We've known it all year. To watch it happen in person there, it's a game changer. Whether it's the behind-the-back pull-up jumper on the right side whether it's the three with Tristan Thompson flying at him, whether it's 7-1 leading the break, he's an entire game changer. I mean, if Clay Thompson is as off as he seems to be and they don't have Kevin Durant, they might be in trouble. Instead, Durant is just such a dominant force. He was the best player on the floor by a large margin last night. The whole premise of Cleveland being able to stay in this series is that lebron's supposed to be the best player on the floor and there's just no way to combat the warriors if durant is at the level he was last night and he and he has been that way for 5 or 6 years. I mean that's this is why I've made the comment that he may be the second best small forward of all time. I understand exactly who larry bird is. I'm not ignorant to that. But this is one of the great scores we've ever had. It's 7-1 with a skill set that's unequaled. The fast break dunks that he's getting seem very strange. Unless you kind of understand two things are taking place. One is because the Warriors switch so much defensively, defensively, the minute they get a rebound and go, if you're you're J.R. Smith and you're supposed to be guarding Steph Curry, Steph Curry has switched off of you and now has switched to two other guys. And as you go in transition and you're being taught, mark up on Curry, mark up on Curry, Curry's my guy, and you're sprinting back, you're just trying to find Steph. He's not next to you because they've switched defensively. You're just trying to find him somewhere. So then when you're backpedaling looking and you've got Durant coming at you and Steph's open on the right wing, you do have a tendency to go to Steph, he's your guy, and it looks ridiculous. Because of the fact that you go and dunk, you have Durant dunk on you. It looks just ridiculous. But it actually makes some sense. It's, it's the play we talked about a little bit yesterday where Pachulia gets the dunk. Some of that is the same thing we saw with Durant with those dunks is you're running out to your shooters and it's just almost impossible to guard. Another micro issue, 50-50 balls, whether it was rebounds, whether it was just loose balls. I saw LeBron get one, but the Warriors got about every 50-50 ball. There's two ways to look at that. One I don't really believe in is that, well, they're playing harder. And the other is they're more athletic, they're longer, they're faster, so they're getting every 50-50 ball. That's the way I look at it. And that's what was telling to me – particularly on the Cavaliers' offensive glass. Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love had almost no ability to get the offensive rebounds that they have to get to change the series and slow the Warriors down from running because they just weren't athletic enough to go get the ball. 50-50 balls went all Warriors, and it's because of speed and things of that nature. The second one, or the third micro item, was the Cavaliers' bench which actually isn't when the game got blown out, but this is still relevant for the series, looked crazy slow. Darren Williams, Kyle Corver lineup looked, Richard Jefferson looked crazy slow against the Warriors. Uh, That's going to be a problem before the series is over. Corver and Williams looked terrible, didn't make their shots, which makes you look terrible. Uh, And that... And I, I, that's an area where I think people had hoped that the Cavaliers would be able to stay in games. That one, from a long-lasting standpoint of the series, did not look that way, and I would say was pretty uh, disconcerting if you're looking at it from a Cavaliers uh, perspective. The final one is the amount of shots the Warriors got in and around the basket. Just truly incredible how much they got in and around the basket? When we, uh, if you go and take a look at the shot charts, and I and I talked about this uh, yesterday, that the Warriors were the number one restricted area shooting team in the league, and the Cavaliers were number two. The Warriors in the first quarter took eighteen shots, eighteen shots in the restricted area, in the first quarter. 18 of their 32 shots were in the restricted area. They only hit 10 of 18. But that's a sign that Cleveland's defensive discipline is just not good enough to be able to handle what the Warriors are bringing at them. And I I don't know whether I think that's going to change coming forward. In the second quarter, they had 16 shots in the restricted area. That's the half circle underneath the basket. They were 9 of 16. The Warriors in the second quarter were 0 of 6 from 3 and 0 of 6 from the mid-range and still led at halftime by 7. The second quarter, the Warriors were 0 of 6 from mid-range, 0 of 6 from 3, and still led. But that's largely because they took thirty. Four shots in the first half in the restricted area. That's incredible. Third quarter, when they blow the game out, it changes a tad that they start to make shots. In the third quarter, they only go to the restricted area four times, and they and they now start to bang down shots. They hit six of nine from three, and two of four from the mid-range. But this is the essence of why the Warriors are so great. Because the Cavaliers probably, if we went back and watched, made a defensive adjustment to take away the 34 shots in the restricted area in the first half and then got burned from the outside. The Warriors were just brilliant. I would say that this has happened before. I thought the LeBron big, small pick-and-roll that they went to when they played Love at the center looked effective and we'll probably see more of that. But game one, Durant, big picture, the Warriors were on the verge of a blowout the whole time. Only the greatness of the Cavaliers delayed it. Durant, 50-50 balls, Cavs bench, and Cavs are just not a fundamental defensive team to be able to deal with what the Warriors are throwing at them. All right, that's my take on the NBA Finals. Let's continue with our series on uh, searching for a point guard, and we do it. With Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors. Again, today's show brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai 4646 South State Street. The Murdoch Santa Fe I'm driving right now is really quite a nice car, enjoying it very, very much. Would strongly suggest you at least adding Hyundai to your list of cars that, uh, if you're looking for a new car, and checking out what they have to offer, all the things you get for the money, and I think you'll be really pleased, and then go take it for a drive and and make sure it matches to what you want. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I think you should certainly include it in your list of things. Let's continue with our final stop on the series of point guard search for the Jazz, and then you can tell me which one you would do. So Sean Woodley joins us locked on Raptors. Now, Kyle Lowry's a free agent. University of Utah, DeLon Wright's playing well, and Corey Joseph is on the roster. Am I accurate, Sean, as I call about the Raptors, that you cannot keep all three guys?
1: I'm not sure that's entirely true because, I mean, we saw this season and, you know, going forward, if the Raptors are to keep Kyle Lowry, you know, it it doesn't hurt to have that kind of depth on the roster to be able to have guys who can be capable backups, you know, and fill in starters roles like, it's nice to have those guys. The Raptors got really lucky this year uh, being able to have DeLon Wright to come in. You know, he missed the first part of the season, but when he came in and then started to fill in when Kyle Lowry was out, like, it was really effective, and it helped the Raptors go 14-7 and without Lowry. Of course, there's an inherent issue if you're building in the idea of, like, maybe Lowry isn't that durable into the idea of bringing him back, but um, I'm not sure you have to get rid of them, but I, I am kind of of the mind that if the Raptors are going to try to sort of move some of the salary off their books to try to keep the most important free agents they have in Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka and then maybe P.J. Tucker or Patrick Patterson after that, then Corey Joseph for me becomes like a pretty easy guy to potentially move. There are bigger contracts on the roster with Jonas Valanciunas and Damari Carroll, but Joseph probably is the easiest to move just in terms of being able to get something back and also being able to get rid of his, uh, you know, what's going to be an expiring contract because he's got a player option at the end of this year and he's pretty underpaid for what he does as a player. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's necessary, you know, per se to just like you have to move him just for the sake of moving them. But I think, yeah, Joseph is a really easy candidate to talk yourself into trading this offseason. All
0: right. Was DeLon Wright good enough that you're comfortable with him as your backup point guard moving forward?
1: I think so. There's some issues. Um, like his shooting is not there. Like he doesn't really have any sort of off the dribble game and neither neither does Corey Joseph, but Joseph at least started to hit some pull up threes, sorry, some catch and shoot threes this season. Um, and that was really effective. Whereas Delon doesn't really have a three pointer in his game whatsoever. It's odd. He doesn't really get any lift on his shot. He's almost like he's taking a free throw every time he takes a three. Um, but that's like the one sort of bugaboo I have about Wright's game, but overall Wright's defense, like, he was much better than, than Joseph was for the most part this season on D and just, it's kind of obvious he's six foot five, he's athletic and he kind of blows up a lot of plays with his, with his length. And that's nice to have. And so I think overall, while he doesn't shoot very well, I think, right. You know, everything else he does definitely fits the profile of a really good backup. So, um you know i'd have no problem if he was the backup plus the raptors have fred Van on the roster too who you know probably isn't going to be anything more than a third string point guard or a backup at best but it's nice to have him there too and a little bit more insurance um the one thing i that, that this whole sort of point guard conversation is an issue uh, the issue that this whole pre- whole thing presents for the raptors is the order in which things are going to happen this year because you have the you know the the issue with um, like when the free agency happens and just sort of like you have Kyle Lowry's free agency you're dealing with in the off season in July, where you have the draft, which is probably the best chance to trade one of these guys, uh, you know whether you're trading Joseph or whoever, like the draft is when you're probably gonna do that, but you're doing that without any assurance that Lowry's gonna be back. So it's hard to decide when they're gonna do it, but um, if you're going to make the risk, if you think you have a good shot of bringing back Lowry, I would say for sure, uh, you know, trading Corey Joseph makes sense. And DeLon Wright is, you know, he's probably ready to be a full time backup. Yeah.
0: What is the feeling on whether you have a chance to re-sign Kyle Lowry? I think it's pretty good.
1: I think if the Raptors give him that fifth year, it's it's pretty much a guarantee. It's, uh, it's the last time he's going to get paid. So it totally makes sense uh, for, for the Raptors, for, for him to accept that fifth year. It, it it makes less sense for the Raptors to give it to him because he's 31 and he's going to be 36 by the end of that deal. And it could look pretty bad the last couple of seasons. Um, but the way I've been talking myself into the fifth year is that, you know, expiring contracts are going to become a thing again. They're going to become an asset again with the cap sort of smoothing out here. And I think that last season of Lowry's deal, that's going to be pretty attractive to a team if they're looking to you know, open up a bunch of cap space going forward and it becomes hard to trade it or whatever. But I think, you know, five years down the road, that might be a bit of an asset. Whereas it doesn't quite feel like an owner is five-year deal. If that last year is an expiring and it actually is going to mean something. Um, I, I still think like I would put my money on Lowry coming back. There aren't a ton of situations where it seems to make a lot of sense for him to sign. If he's looking to, you know, both mix winning and getting a big contract, like, the Spurs, for example, like they have to open up a bunch of cap space and they seem focused on Chris Paul, uh, first off, anyway. You have like the Rockets, they're an interesting team. I'm not sure Lowry would want to go back there. And then you have the Sixers, and I'm just not sure they're going to be ready to win, even if they get Lowry next year. Um, so I think just everything's coming together where if the Raptors give Lowry the five years or even if they give him the max over four years, which is still more than any other team can give him, I think it just makes the most sense for him to come back to a, a situation that maybe is kind of blocked by the by LeBron in the, in the Eastern Conference, but is still a winning situation. Um, so I think that it's, it's going to end up most likely with Lowry coming back, I'm kind of getting more and more confident as the days go by here, and maybe that's irrational, but I just think it makes the most sense for both sides to bring him back.
0: What you just talked about is a fascinating thing, in this, and it impacts the Jazz a little bit with George Hill, uh, which impacts you know this whole idea of the Jazz trying to find a point guard, this whole series we're doing. Uh, the point guard market's fascinating because mm-hmm. the two, number one and two, in most people's mind, is Lowry and, and Drew Holiday. If they leave their teams... Neither of the, their teams have the financial wherewithal to sign another point guard. Mm-hmm. So, if you're George Hill or you're some of these other point guards, if Lowry goes to and Chris Paul, sorry, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry and and, and Drew Holiday, if Chris Paul leaves and goes to San Antonio, the Clippers don't have enough money to fill. They're already out paying it. They don't have. They like they're done. Like they now move mm-hmm. into a different realm. The the Raptors, if Kyle Lowry goes and signs in Philadelphia or which really it's Philadelphia, or Brooklyn, there's not a lot of good teams with cap space other than Boston. Then all of a sudden, Toronto doesn't have enough money to sign Drew Holiday. And if Drew Holiday goes to Brooklyn, then all of a sudden there's not any. Um, right. Like you just yeah. there are not the piece. The pieces don't move and then suddenly George Hill has a very limited marketplace, maybe L.A. for something limited. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting thing. Now, if Lowry stays, Holiday stays, Chris Paul stays, now all of a sudden George Hill's sitting around saying, all right, who's paying me what? Exactly,
1: yeah. Yeah, is a powerful force. Like, I think that's why it's going to end up that. I think Lowry, Holiday, and Paul will probably, probably all stay where they are just because, A, the money will talk, and, B, like, it's just really hard for – Uh, teams to justify letting them walk because there's no real backup plan. Like the Raptors will be totally out out in the woods if they let Lowry walk. And then they're going into a season with Corey Joseph and DeLon Wright as their one and two point guards, which is a lot less attractive. Um, So yeah, that's kind of my thinking there as well. And why I'm more coming around to the idea that I think Lowry's going to stay. And I think most of these guys will stay. And I think that's probably just going to be what we see, throughout the NBA going forward as well. I'm not sure we're going to see as much player movement as we used to.
0: All right, let's go to Corey Joseph, the player. Who is he? What's he capable of? Could he lead a Western Conference playoff team? Uh, If the Jazz were looking for a point guard, is, is Corey Joseph a legitimate answer for a year for the Jazz as a stopgate?
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. Like you're like, he's not better than George Hill. He, like he's definitely, if there's, if the idea is to replace Joseph uh, with like re- replace George Hill with Joseph, like I think that's a definite downgrade. Um, Joseph is just kind of like a really perfect backup point guard. Like he doesn't do the things that you need from a, from a starter in the, in today's NBA. Like he's not a big high volume scorer. He gets to the basket a ton, but like, he's not going to create his own pull-up looks or anything like that. And even as like a playmaker, He kind of has this sort of thing where when he drives to the basket, he's mostly just looking for his own shot. Like, he's not great when it comes to driving kicks. So if you're trying to, you know, have that be a big part of your offense, like, Joseph's not a great guy to do that. Um, This season, his defense was kind of up and down. He, you know, used to be so good. Like, last season, he was just unbelievable where he would just fight through every screen, stay in front of his guys, and just be a pest to everybody. This year, it was a little bit more up and down. Uh, And he really sort of picked it up when Kyle Lowry got hurt and he was put in the starting role. So that was good to see that he could do it there. He was really clutch for the Raptors this year just in terms of when he decided to play well. Um, Like overall, again, I I think Joseph just like a really – quintessential perfect backup point guard that you want to have behind anybody really he can come in he can capably run your offense he's not going to turn the ball over the fact that he's added a catch and shoot three is really nice and it's a big part of his game Um, he shot about 36 percent this season i think there's probably room for growth there his form is fine he's always been a good mid-range shooter and free throw shooter as well so maybe he can improve that some Um, But, yeah, in terms of, like, upside, like, Corey Joseph, I think, has kind of gotten to what he's going to be. I don't see a lot more of development from him. I mean, he's, what, 25, 26 at this point. Like, he's probably pretty much plateaued as as to what he's going to be. For a one-year stopgap, if you think, like, you know, Dante Exum is going to be, you know, the next great starting point guard for the Jazz, and you're okay with the Jazz taking a year where they're maybe going to take a step back or they're going to rely more on a Gordon Hayward or someone like that to create offense, then maybe you can get away with it. Like, I think he's better than Shelvin Mack and Raul Neto. Um, so that like that would be an upgrade over those guys. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking at him to be a replacement for George Hill, should George Hill leave? Like, that's probably not ideal. But, like, you could do a lot worse than Corey Joseph at $7 bucks on your roster.
0: Well, let me sell it for a second, all right? And tell me if you think I'm crazy. So sure. he's your starting point guard. He does defend. The catch-and-shoot thing you're talking about is real. He hit 47% of catch-and-shoot threes this last year. Mm -hmm. The Jazz play an equal opportunity offense where Gordon Hayward has the ball as much as Rodney Hood has the ball as much as the point guard has the ball. So he suddenly gets he's really being used as a pick and roll catch and shoot guy more than a traditional point guard. He defends fairly well. He's only seven million and it frankly opens up the door a little bit for Dante Exum to still develop and not be blocked because Dante maybe suddenly plays 25 minutes a night. And finally, and most importantly, the deal to get him done might be as simple as Boris Diaw and his contract, which can be moved for Corey Joseph. Or it could simply be a second round pick for Corey Joseph. Like, it's not like there's no cost. Like, no offense to Corey Joseph, Toronto is in such a financial bind that the Jazz, if they do it before July 1, it's a cap space game where they just take Corey Joseph into cap space. If it's post-July 1, it's Boris Diaz' contract that Toronto then releases him and there's no cost. I mean, it's it's a no-cost accus- acquisition unless you're going to tell me you think Toronto's really going to hold out for something.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. When it comes back to what I said at the start, where I'm not sure the Raptors are going to be in a rush to trade Corey Joseph because there are other guys in the roster they can offload to provide themselves more salary cap, cap flexibility. So I'm not sure, like they're going to just say, all right, a second-round pick, and like let's just be done with him and move on from that seven million bucks. Um, like I, I really, I have no idea. Like it's so hard to gauge what the Raptors want to do. They're so tight-lipped as an organization. There's really never any, you know, inkling as to what they're going to do. But the thing with Masai Ujiri is that he's never going to deal from a position of weakness. Um, and I feel like he's always going to try to get the maximum possible value. And I, I'm just not sure he would settle for a second rounder. I think in that, that case, he would just look at it and say, all right, I'd just rather have Corey Joseph on my team. Even if there's a bit of a logjam at point guard or even if I need to you know, get rid of some money elsewhere, um, I'm not sure he's going to you know, just take a loss on a trade. That's just kind of how he's operated over the course of his time with the Raptors. Um, so, so I, I mean, you could get it for a second-round pick, probably. Um, even like if the Jazz are looking to trade their late first-round pick, like maybe that works as well. Uh, do they have the, the Jazz have their first-round pick this year, right?
0: We have twenty-four and thirty. So,
1: okay, yeah. So maybe if they, yeah, maybe thirty gets it done, something like that. Um, All right, maybe, you, you got to help me out yeah, here.
0: I, are the Raptors not in nearly as big a bind as I think they are? Like, I think they're financially screwed.
1: Here's the thing: is that. You know, Masai Ujiri seems to have the green light to pay any luxury tax he wants like that, they, that he wants to. Like, if he wants to, um, you know, go into the tax and bring back the entire band, I think he has the green light from that. Like, the, Ra- the Raptors' ownership, for people who don't know, like, the Raptors aren't owned by a single person. They're owned by, like, a telecommunications conglomerate, and actually two of them. <laughs> There's just the two big telecommunications companies in Canada that own the Raptors and the Maple Leafs and, and a bunch of other teams. Um, and like they just have like an endless stream of money so i don't think they have any you know, I'm calling i'm calling i'm stack. calling
0: total bull crap here no
1: i, I really, No, I, here's I, why. I,
0: here's why. I love you. You know this, right? Um, <laughs> here's why. You signed Kyle Lowry for 35. Mhm. You signed Surge for 20, right? Yep. You're at 133 million. Yeah, I don't think they're going to have a problem with that. That's and, that's you know, 12 million dollars over the salary cap and you've let Patrick Patterson, PJ Tucker go.
1: Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't think money is going to be an object here. Like, I think the Raptors have d- done enough for the last little while here where Messiah's got pretty much – I'm not sure they're going to pay that. Like, I don't think they will. I think they'll pr- probably try to offload Damari Carroll somehow, whether that's attaching an asset or something like that, or they're going to try to find the market for Jonas Valanciunas if it's not there. And maybe they will just have to, you know, bite the bullet and trade Corey Joseph for, for you know, very little, but – um, I, again, I'm not sure money is going to be an issue with this team. And there's the issue of like if you go into the into the luxury tax, like you're hamstringing yourself and you're locking yourself into a team that probably has a ceiling. But that might be the best case scenario right now while LeBron continues to be LeBron. So I, I just I think the green light is there from a side to pay anything. Um, and if it means bringing back Corey Joseph and figuring it out later, like Corey Joseph only has one year left on his deal. Um, but yeah, it's a, I mean, it is possible that they could just trade him for a second rounder and move on from that money. I just think there's it's bigger a, f- contracts I mean, isn't luxury tax so two point? to trade
0: first. Isn't luxury tax 2.2 2 to one.
1: I think so. But like I said, the, the money that comes into the two companies that own the Raptors and the Maple Leafs, it is endless. And I just don't think they really care. Um, it, it's, it's not like it's one guy who's, Who's paying for everything? It's you know the, the entire yeah. It's a uh, it's a weird ownership structure that it, it, I kind of don't really understand how everything works. But there's endless money coming in, and uh, it, it's different than I think any other team in maybe even professional sports the way it works. But I, I really don't think money is going to be a, a, a sort of an obstacle for the Raptors to try to build this team.
0: Well, I tell you what, this is why we have the local angles unlocked on <laughs> Raptors because that's a perspective that. Uh, by the way, it's one to one point five for the first five million, one to one point seven five for the next 5000000 five million, two point five right. for the next ten million. So if you're at thirty three, the two million each of the two million dollars you're paying over the one twenty one luxury tax or so twelve for those final two million, you're paying two point five to the one. I'm, I don't care. I, I don't care how rich your ownership is. They're avoiding that 2 million. It might not mean trading Corey Joseph to save the 11 or 12 million we've been talking about. Interesting, really interesting perspective. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the time. Great job with lockdown Raptors. Sean does a great job. If you want to follow that show and keep this up to date, super local angle on it. Appreciate the knowledge. Thanks very much, Sean. Absolutely. Take care, David. That is Locked On Jazz today, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday...